0: Hey y'all! We're getting after it a little late today. It is Monday, about noon. Um, I apologize that this podcast is not up yet, but you know what? We're getting it up on Monday, anyways, even if it's late today. Bookending off of last week's podcast, we are going to be covering the top ten all-time shooting guards in the NBA. Again, this is my personal list, and I also want to reiterate, just like last week, this is not a player X is better than player Y debate. This takes everything into account. Career accolades, accomplishments, achievements, mainly things done on the court, but I'll bring up some stuff off the court that does not get taken into consideration for when I'm ranking these guys. I promise I just have talking points, you know, just like everybody else. Um, So yeah, so today, top 10 shooting guards of all time. Let's get into it. So, just like last week, we're going to be going front to back, 10 to 1, actually honorable mention to number 1. Um, So, starting with this week's shooting guard honorable mention, I'm going to go with a guy that not a lot of people would have expected to be here. Um, Maybe you would have, but I would assume most of you that are listening would not have. I'm talking about Vincent Lamar Carter. Half man, half amazing. Vince Carter himself, the guy that's still playing, but... Kind of is formally retired uh, thanks to the coronavirus. But, yeah, man, looking at Vince Sanity's career stats, it doesn't really do the justice for what Vince was as a player. Um, He's played in over 1,500 career games, career averages of 16 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Of course, that's brought down by probably the last, I don't know, like 7 years of his career. Um, he's been in the league for a very long time now since 1998 was his first season and he came in as a junior um, he was 22 years old when he first came into the NBA so imagine had he come straight out of high school how many more games and how much more time he would have been in the league for he'd be up there with like the Robert parishes and kareems for most games all the time um, looking at vince is a weird case because he's one of those guys that took a huge leap very, very early on in his career and then was very good for about a 10-year stretch and since then has just been kind of a key contributor either from a like last-ditch starter or bench contributor-type role. Um, But he's always been that veteran-savvy guy that we all knew and loved him for since at least 2009-ish. Um, And he's still kicking. He's still in the league today playing, of course, in 2019-20. Again, like I said, he uh, technically is formally retired. If the season resumes in, say, August, maybe, I doubt he'll ever play another game because I don't think they'll go back to the regular season. But it was cool to see Vince even play out this year. I didn't think it would happen, and it did. So why is Vince Carter honorable mention, and not in the top 10, you might ask. Well, looking at Vince Carter's career profile, he's an eight-time All-Star, only two-time All-NBA, and he was, of course, the Rookie of the Year in 1998. Uh, He's played for a handful of teams in his NBA career, going from the Toronto Raptors when he was drafted to, of course, the Nets. He's also played for the Magic, Suns, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Kings, and now, of course, the Hawks. Um, Vince, very early on in his career, was ridiculous. I did a Toronto Raptors breakdown podcast that I named The Paradox. I think it was a month ago. And his first season, he definitely deserved rookie of the year and he showed flashes of just how good he could be, but his second and third years, he was superb. Like he he was a top 15, top 10 guy in the league at that time. So, here's just his best two years for you. 1999, his second season at age 23, he averaged 26 points, six rebounds, and four assists. He shot 47% from the field and 40% from three. Absolute lights-out shooting. The following year, he, sh- he had 27 points a game, as well as, again, five boards and 3.9 assists, so basically four assists. Upped his steal numbers, and he was shooting 46%, 41% from three, 77% from the free-throw line. Vince, very early on in Toronto, was something that not a lot of people knew him for, at least when he got to the Nets. Uh, He was a spectacular shooter, which he has been for much of his career, but he was also a highlight reel. He was a walking dunk montage, and we all know that, of course, because he won the dunk contest in 2000, but I'm talking an in-game dunker. In-game dunkers, nobody is messing with Vince Carter ever. Dunk contest, sure, I'd rather have the Zach Levines, the Aaron Gordons of the world, the guys that don't necessarily look like they can pull some off that they can. But at the end of the day, Vince Carter early on is somebody that's lost and forgotten in NBA lore. Not a lot of people realize that he was a 41% three-point shooter in his third season in the NBA and that he was scoring almost 30 points a game. Vince's 2000 playoff run where he faced against Allen Iverson, I've said this before, is my personal favorite playoff one-on-one matchup ever, period, point blank. The one-on-one battle that him and AI had in the 2000-2001 playoffs where Allen Iverson was en route to the finals where they lost 4-1 against the Lakers with the famous step over that you guys all remember, that series was a seven-game series filled with going off and going off some more. Then, of course, Vince had the falling out in Toronto where he was getting hurt and he was frustrated with the management. They weren't bringing in players. They traded away his cousin and soon-to-be all-NBA guy himself, Tracy McGrady. It was not good. (laughs) It It got very ugly very fast. He got sent to the New Jersey Nets and then went on a rampage his first season there, averaging 28 points to finish out the season with the... New Jersey Nets at the time, um, and Jason Kidd. And then from there, he only made two more All-Star games, and basically since 2007, has been kind of a role player. I mean, he averaged 21 points a game in 2007, 21 in 2008, then dipped all the way down to 16, 14, 15, 10 in the following years, and then he started to go team to team, place to place, like I mentioned before, Orlando, Phoenix, Dallas, Memphis, Sacramento, Atlanta. He's now 43 years old, still kicking, I appreciate Vince for all the stuff he's done in his career, and he's one of those guys that is not ever going to be forgotten, but if you take away that dunk contest, and you take away that Olympic dunk, he might be one of those guys that not a lot of NBA fans remember, or at least remember as good as he was, because he only made two All-NBA teams, and he doesn't have a ring, even though he played for over 20 seasons. It's the type of stuff like that that you really have to sit back and analyze when you're talking about who is the greatest. Because, you know, some guys like Jordan, Jordan only played in the league for, and I'm not comping them one to one, of course, but Jordan only played in the league for, what was it, 13, 14 seasons, and six of them were rings, and he was a 30 point scorer multiple times. Vince Carter, half of the time he's been in the league has been 15 or less points per game. He's been a player for 10 or more of the seasons he's been in the league that's why he was only an eight-time all-star and why he's only made the all-nba team twice so at the end of the day that's why vince carter has ended up on my honorable mention rather than my top 10 list let's move into number 10 coming in at number 10 is the original shooting guard the guy that all the greats grew up watching george gervin the ice man george gervin's a hall of famer a 12-time All-Star, four-time scoring champ, seven-time All-NBA. He was a all-rookie team selection, of course, in 1972. I would hope so. <laughs> Two-time All-ABA, so he was a half-ABA, half-NBA guy. Career averages of 25 points, five rebounds, three assists. Shot 50% from the field. Only 21 or 27% from three, which, of course, he wasn't in the league for some of the years that they incorporated the three. Um, but basically... George Gervin has a really crazy scoring resume that is kind of unmatched. It's up with the Allen Iverson, James Harden, Michael Jordan, upper echelon shooting guard scoring numbers that we don't really see or aren't really accustomed to. So George Gervin, like I said, led the league in scoring four separate times. He he played for the Spurs, if you guys didn't know. Um, And he was an all-star every season of his career except for his very first and his very last. Every other year, he averaged at least 21 points per game. I'm serious. Going through these other, what was it, 12 years of his career, here's his numbers. 23, 25, 23, 22, 23, 27, 30, 33, 27, 32, 26, 26, 21.2. So, George Gervin, what can I say? Another guy that I did not go back and watch highlights of, but I was tempted to. I really was, um, (laughs) because this guy was lethal when it came to scoring, man, and he wasn't one of those guys that got to the free throw line a bunch, just looking at his career numbers right here. He only attempted about six per game, so it's not like he was one of those early scorers that was so dependent on getting to the line 10 times a game, or was dependent on... You know those those little close uh, baby hooks, like the 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 low post game that so many early guards attempted to play. George Gervin was a pure shooter. This guy was lethal before being a lethal shooter was a thing, and he's one of those guys that's he just doesn't get remembered in NBA lore unless you're talking to an NBA historian because he played in the ABA. You know he was playing most of his career in the '70s. He retired in 1986, so. He was out of the league before Jordan ever hit his peak, you know? Um Yeah, what can I say about George Gervin? Let's think of some some things to say about him. Honestly, one of the best shooting guards of all time, of course, as he's 10th on my list. Top 5 scorer of all time, just off the top of my head. Um probably top 5 spur of all time, I would assume if we got to go through the whole top Spurs list. Obviously, David Robinson and Timmy Duncan are in there. I think I might have to put Manu Ginobili ahead of George Gervin, but I'll probably put George Gervin ahead of Tony Parker if I had to. Um, so yeah, top five Spur of all time. Hasn't really been involved with basketball following his NBA career, so that's something that you hate to see. I always like to see when, you know, like the Jerry Wests of the world, the guys of the NBA's yesteryear come into the modern era and try to accustom themselves to the game, really try to go out and watch the games and get adapted, um, get involved with some form of coaching or being an executive in some way, shape, or form. It's always really cool to see because most of the time those guys are very talkative and you get to hear a lot of their perspectives on the current situation of the league and how that differs from when they used to play, but you also get the great stories of them with their teammates because obviously the press wasn't as big and in your face as it is in the what I call the TMZ era of today where basically Keita Bates-Diop can get stopped in the middle of the street and have a 10-minute interview if he gets off of a plane. You know what I mean? Back in those days, you're lucky to get a few George Gervin clips of him actually talking. I've never heard what the dude's voice sounds like and it'd be really cool to have him involved in basketball in that way, plus a lot of other old school NBA greats, because you don't get that perspective from just anybody. And getting that perspective from one of the greatest scorers of all time on, say, how he thinks of James Harden's game or how he thought of Kobe Bryant's game would be really, really cool to hear. You know, he could just do like a Players' Tribune article or just some sit-down interviews. You could hop in the the booth with the uh, TNT crew maybe just spit the shit back and forth for a little bit, but it'd be cool to see. I don't know. That's just me. But nonetheless, great NBA career, four-time scoring champ. Actually, also something that not a lot of people know about George garbin and if they do, props to you for being a smart cookie. He played 84 games in 1974-75. Uh, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I don't know how that was possible. That might, that might have been one of those situations where... Uh, you had a team have to replay something for some reason because he wasn't traded that year, right? He wasn't traded that season. And, like, I, I get it sometimes where, like, a player's traded. I, it's happened multiple times. I think Moses Malone is another guy that he was traded midseason when he would already appeared in all the games of that team, and then the other team just so happened to have a schedule that allowed him to play 85 or 86 games or something like that. That happens. He wasn't traded in 1974, so how the hell did he play 84 games, I don't know, maybe the ABA just fucked up that season. Anyways, George Gervin comes in, number 10 all-time on my shooting guards list. Coming in at number 9 is somebody that, you know, is... I, I just mentioned him before when we were talking about my honorable mention pick, and a lot of people severely underrate the career that this man had. He had one of the most impressive non-ring winning resumes of any player to ever play the game, and it's kind of sad that he went out without one. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, Vince Carter didn't win a ring. He played 20 seasons, and he could have ring chased if he wanted to. This guy got so ungodly unlucky so many times in his career. We're going to cover him in just a second, but he was so unlucky for his career to not win a ring that, man, is it just mind-boggling. So, of course, I'm talking about T-Mac, Tracy McGrady, Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, two-time scoring champ, seven-time All-NBA, was the most improved player in 2000, career averages of 19 points, six rebounds, four and a half assists, shot, you know, a little inefficiently some seasons, but he was a chucker. He was one of the very early chuckers of the NBA. Why do I have T-Mac as a shooting guard when his main position is listed as small forward? Um, because if you go back and you look on basketballreference.com, my favorite NBA site, you can count the amount of years that this man played shooting guard in the NBA and it ends up being that he was primarily a shooting guard, even though he was listed as a small forward. I know, I know. you know, It, it happens like that sometimes. He was a 6'8 shooting guard. Whoopee. But it is what it is. So Tracy McGrady, let's just cover the stuff that I covered on the Paradox podcast a month ago. Coming in, T-Mac had a very weird NBA career. He was a ninth overall pick coming out of high school in a time that not a lot of high schoolers got a good rep. The only high schoolers of the time that had succeeded were in the yesteryear NBA. I believe Moses Malone was one of them. And then Kevin Garnett. That was about it. So when you're looking at T-Mac, you have to understand where the perspective of his early career was coming from. The Raptors weren't willing to give him big minutes, even though they spent a top 10 pick on him, because at the time it was almost forbidden to draft a high school guy that early, or it was forbidden to play a high school guy that much. They just didn't understand the game as well. And of course, there was not a lot of coverage that you could have on certain players because scouts can only do so much and it's not like we had highlight reel videos like we did with zion williamson these days so it is what it is um of course looking back on it they should have given him more minutes because he was a phenomenal player the second he left the team but let's just cover early career team acts. so he came into the league in 1997 averaged seven points a game his rookie year nine points a game his sophomore year And then finally was a halftime starter, I say halftime in the sense that he started about half the games that he played in, about 30 minutes a game, Um, still didn't shoot the ball that well, which is crazy because he immediately shot the ball great after he left the Raptors, but averaged about 15 points and 6 boards a game, with about 2 blocks a game, which is also something very underrated about T-Mac's career, was him as a, at least an on-ball defender. Um... And then Toronto shipped them off to the Orlando Magic. If you guys want to hear the full story about that, I strongly encourage you to go back, listen to my Paradox podcast about the Toronto Raptors from March. Um, So then he got sent to Orlando. Now, here's where he started to get unlucky, right? Orlando had Grant Hill, or had just gotten Grant Hill at the time. It was one of those two. Um, And Grant Hill was immediately hurt. They were also supposed to get Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan leaving San Antonio was a legitimate thing early in the Orlando Magic T-Mac years. It was supposed to be a surefire thing that happened, and he just got pried away due to, I guess, the genius of Greg Popovich and the uncertainty of who was going to be in certain roles in Orlando. Um, My understanding of it is that there was a meeting where Doc Rivers kind of like cucked and prevented Tim Duncan from really getting the answers that he wanted and stopped guys from saying anything that was, I don't know, too aggressive or too, uh, like, he wouldn't be chit-chatty about it. He'd be very stern and very unaccepting of Tim Duncan's position on what he wanted to do with the franchise looking forward, and that ultimately turned Tim Duncan away from the Orlando Magic. Um, Of course, that would have been career-altering for, Not only Tim Duncan, but definitely Tracy McGrady as well. Because as we know, Tim Duncan goes on to be a top 10 player of all time himself. Have five rings with the San Antonio Spurs. Imagine what that would do to that franchise. As well as imagine what that would have done for Tracy McGrady playing with a healthy Grant Hill. One of the best players, best 10 players of all time in history. And then himself, which as we are about to find out, was a ridiculous score that was averaging... Upwards of 30 points a game once in Orlando in 2002, and then 28 points a game in 2003. Um, The other plague of T-Mac's career is injuries. Injuries, injuries, injuries. So it plagued him once being in Orlando, not having his sidekick because he was hurt, but it also plagued himself going to Houston. He went to Houston in 2004. Shout out to Daryl Morey, by the way. Um... And basically from that point on was plummeting due to injuries. So his last season with Orlando, I told you he averaged 28 points a game. Here's his seasons with Houston, okay? He was an all-star all four years he was in Orlando. He goes to Houston at 25, that's supposed to be the age apex of your career. He spends six seasons there, is only an all-star three times, immediately dips his scoring from 28 to 25 points a game, down to 24, 24, 21, and then 15. T-Mac also played with a guy that we all know and remember, Yao Ming, that was a seven foot six, possibly larger giant from China, that was one of the best defenders in the league or low post defenders in the league at the time, averaging like three blocks a game, and also a ridiculously gifted guard set big man. Not a lot of people realize this about Yao Ming, but he was a soft touch shooter that also could handle the ball pretty well, had good passing vision, and decent passing accuracy. And he was the perfect tool player to play alongside Tracy McGrady. You could deploy a rather large guard, or I guess small forward at the time, I guess they listed him at in Houston. You could deploy a rather large swingman, I guess we can call it, with the biggest center in the league, and have them run pick and rolls that were essentially unstoppable. Had T-Mac been a slightly better passer, they would have been legitimately unstoppable. Had the Houston Rockets actually had a talented point guard in that time period, they would have been legitimately unstoppable. Instead, T-Mac played in 78 games, so he missed four his first season in Houston. That's not bad. That happens. Then he missed half the season in 2005-2006, which was probably their best chance at a title. He only played 47 of 82 games. I don't think he played in the playoff series that season either. Um, Missed 11 games the year after. 16 games the year after that, and then only played in 35 games in 2008. Basically, Tracy McGrady's career was derailed and done for by the time he was 28 years old. That's why he was brutally unlucky and why he was one of those guys that you can say with a flip of a coin confidently, had this gone another direction or had one thing altered the time parallel of what TMAC was able to do, like one little I guess one one needle fell in one different direction. The differences in T-Mac's career would have been tenfold. And why is he higher than Vince on this list, despite not playing for 20 seasons like Vince? I think he only played for, uh, looks like, 13 or 14. Um, Well, because, plain and simple, he was a seven-time All-NBA guy compared to Vince's two. There's no other way to put it. T-Mac is one of those guys that when he was at his peak, was a top 10 player indisputably, probably a top 5 player in the league. Because think about who would have been a top 5 player in 2004-2005, realistically. Realistically, who would it have been? Because LeBron hadn't hit his peak yet. Kobe was basically by himself at that point. Shaq was off in Phoenix, and still dominant, but not as good as we remember Shaq as, at least with L.A., the Phoenix Suns had a gang, so you couldn't really determine who was the best of those guys, and if you could, he wouldn't have been top five. So T-Mac, at his peak, was a top five guy for at least a season or two. Vince Carter was not. It's, it's that, that simple. Um, Tracy McGrady, closing thoughts. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that the man would have won a ring with the San Antonio Spurs in 2013. If I could do it all over again and trade one of LeBron's rings for Tracy McGrady, I'd do it. Actually, let me think about that because LeBron needs the rings to determine the case that he has to make against Michael Jordan for all time greatest. So maybe I wouldn't trade that, but if we can go back and say like Tracy McGrady gets that ring in 2013 because, I don't know. Uh, LeBron gets to win the 2014 finals against the Warriors instead. I'm cool with that. That's even better. That'd work perfectly in my timeline because then he'd have two rings with the Cavs. And although the Heat would have been a failed dynasty, or maybe even 2011, maybe they get the 2011 finals against Dirk. I don't know. Now I'm just jumbling shit and mixing everybody's careers up and fucking everything up. But at the end of the day, Tracy McGrady should have won a ring. His peak was too good. He was too good. And he was too nice of a guy, man. Look back on some of Tracy McGrady's after his career accomplishments and highlights. He's still involved with basketball. He's hilarious. He's on the jump. He's a great dude. And not seeing him get that ring in 2013 was the only negative thing about that finals win for the Heat. It was the only negative thing. Because Tim Duncan had already had four at that point, you know. <laughs> Tony Parker and Manu both had three, I think, at that point, or four. No, they both would have had three because Manu came over in, like, 4 because uh, he played overseas for so goddamn long. Anyways, Tracy McGrady, ninth best on my all-time shooting guard list. These next two players, I'm going to do them back-to-back, but I'm going to preface this with saying... I don't care who you have at 7. I don't care who you have at 8. Either way, I'm cool with it. I have it the way that I have it because of how I determined other lists, and that was that. If I had to determine who was the better player between the two, player X versus player Y, there's a very clear answer to me, and it's not the way that the rankings have it. But based on accolades and performance and productivity, we kind of have to give it to the other guy. Over the guy have an eighth, so let's get into it. Number eight, I have the Nick Killer Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller is a Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, and my God, do those accolades not do the man justice? Uncle Reg averaged 18 points a game, three boards, three rebounds, shot 40 percent from three on his career. Yes, career was pretty much 47, 40. 89 for his career. So he was like, if you, if you took what Clay Thompson is today and just dropped him in the late eighties, mid nineties, early two thousands, that's Reggie Miller. Um, but Reggie Miller was better than that. (laughs) Let me just say that Reggie Miller is definitely better than clay. So Reggie Miller has a weird career because he will never get the respect that he deserves just based on his accolades and accomplishments. He doesn't have a ring. He's only a handful of time. All-star, And he was competing against some of the best shooting guards in the league, a la Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler of his time. Obviously, part of the reason that he didn't make so many all-star teams or didn't make so many all-NBA teams is because you can only have so many guards make those lists, and when the league is flooded with some of the best guards of all time, it's kind of hard to do that. So, Reggie Miller, his best season in the NBA is debatable (laughs) because the guy was like... On and off, fine line, did really depended on where you want Reggie Miller at. If you want Reggie Miller in 1990, for example, when he averaged 25 points a game on 50-40-87 with about four assists as a pretty scrappy defender that wasn't afraid of anybody, um, I'd be okay with that. But if you also want Reggie Miller in like, I don't know, like 1998-1999 area when he was just a walking, lethal, like, destructo bucket, I get that too. So here's his numbers from those few seasons between 1997 and 1999. I guess 2000. Um, Reg averaged 19 points, three boards, two assists, one steal, only one and a half turnovers a game, which is something that's very underappreciated when you're looking at all-time greats. You should definitely be looking at how many turnovers they had because that signifies how their intelligence was in the game at least. Shot 46% from the field, 43% from three, and 89.8% from the free-throw line. So he was essentially 46-43-90 in those three back-to-back-to-back seasons. Um, Reg, what are my memories memories of Reg? Jesus, I can't even talk today. Holy shit. Um, My memories of Reg are choking himself in the garden after ruining my fucking New York Knicks and Spike Lee's entire persona for an entire playoff series and just torturing us year in, year out. Um, my other memories of Reg are basically as an announcer. That's why Reg isn't higher on this list. If we did this list 20 years ago, Reg would probably be, oh, God, third, second. <laughs> he'd, he'd, be, he'd be third or second all time. For shooting guards, if we did this list 20 years ago. That's not saying the shooting guard market has been so good in the last 20 years that we have that many current guys. That's just saying that Reg's whole body of work and not just what he was as a player doesn't speak enough volumes, because what he was as a player speaks more than enough volumes. If you guys don't believe me, go back and watch Reggie Miller highlights. I did, and you will be very impressed with some of the shit that he was able to pull off being... Only a handful of time All-Star. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy has some of the best, like, flamethrower, takeover, torch moments that the league has ever seen, and he's not going to get that type of appreciation just because he didn't make some All-NBA teams, despite still being a top 15 guy in the league at that time. That's indisputable. Another place that I love, Reg, that also a lot of analytic nerds love, Reg, is the advanced stats. Go back and look. 1990, he had a 130 offensive rating, a career offensive rating of 121, with a below league average defensive rating at that time. And he was actually a good or better defender from most of 1993 through 2003. He just wasn't that good of a defender very early on, but that's beyond the point. Even going further into the advanced stats, he led the league in true shot percentage twice. 0.65 0.65 true shot percentage in 1990 with Indiana. I guess all the years were with Indiana, so that was kind of redundant to say. 0.636 true shooting percentage in 1993. That type of shit is, like, <laughs> unreal. And the other good way to gauge some of the best players of all time is by looking at win shares. Maybe not total win shares, because it determines it's determined on how many wins... That team had versus what that player technically produced but if you go and you look at value over replacement or win share per 48 you start to really see the value of reg in his career so reg was over 0.200 win shares which is like kind of like borderline mvp level like top 10 maybe in voting Um, one two three four five five different times in his career was over five value replacement player twice and basically at five with 4.8, 4.6, 4.7, 4.9, 4.8, five other times. So when you start to break down the advanced numbers, Reg was stupid, man. Reg was stupid. This guy was, I think he should honestly have the OG microwave nickname, Um, but of course that was already taken. But had it not been taken, he is a microwave. Reggie Miller was a microwave. And I'm glad that he is one of those guys that we get a perspective of after his career because he's able to tell us what it's like going against Michael, going against Clyde Drexler, watching, you know, some of the guys that he surrounded himself with grow into their own with the Pacer teams that didn't win the finals, but were some of the best teams in the league in the mid 2000s. I'm talking the, the J.O., Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, Al Harrington era teams, man. I miss those teams. I don't really miss those uniforms because those two, those mid two thousands Pacers uniforms were pretty fucking ugly. I like the FloJo ones personally from the nineties, but uh, yeah, man, Reg Reg was one of those guys that was utmost respected by basically everybody that he played with and played against. You're never going to hear somebody talk bad about Reggie Miller, despite him being one of the best trash talkers of all time, and not really winning anything at the same time to really back it up. So that type of plateau and respect says something about the level of intensity and the way that he carried himself. And that's just why Reg ends up at number eight on this list. And what better way to follow up Reg than getting into Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttlesworth himself, Hall of Famer, 10-time All-Star, two-time champ, two-time All-NBA, was on the All-Rookie team in 1996, excuse me, 19 points per game, four rebounds a game, three and a half assists, career numbers pretty much exactly like Reg, 45% from the field, 40% from three, 89.4% from the free-throw line. Why is Ray Allen higher than Reg? Plain and simple, he made more All-Star teams. He was a more indisputable top 15 guy in the league than Reg was for a longer period of time. Ray Allen also played from 1996 until 2013. He played 18 seasons in the NBA and hit some of the most crucial shots that have ever existed in the NBA. Um, Ray Allen, very early on, is one of those guys that if you haven't seen like very early Milwaukee Bucks and Seattle Supersonics highlights of Ray Allen... Go back and watch him. You'll be you'll be very impressed if you know what he turned into in Boston and Miami in the latter years. Um, what do I know about Ray Allen? So looking at some of his career numbers, Ray Allen is one of the most deadly three-point shooters of all time. You don't believe me? Go back and look. I thought he was lethal with Boston, and he sure he sure as hell was. I mean, if you're looking at the last two seasons with Boston, on five attempts a game, he was .444, and point five four five three. That's insane. He almost had a higher three-point field goal percentage than total field goal percentage in 2011 with Boston, which was his final season there. I don't think I've ever seen that, ever. (laughs) But if you go back and you look, even in Milwaukee, right, his second-to-last season in Milwaukee, on almost eight attempts a game, he was 43.5% from three. That is stupid. That's absolutely stupid. That's like... Like, what Davis Bertans was doing for the first three months of the season this year. Like, what George Hill is doing right now, stupid. I I don't understand how he was that good of a shooter, but was also literally punching on people, like, like in your face. like Not like Vince Carter monster dogs, but he has some really, really nasty posters from when he was in his mid and uh, early 20s. And he was still averaging 22 points a game, was getting his boards, was a good passer, was a good defender. Like Ray Allen was a five-tool player coming into the league and remained that until basically 2006, 2005-ish. Then he went to Boston, of course, as we all remember Ray in Boston. Not a lot of people know this, though. He was 32 years old, turning 33 his first season in Boston yeah <laughs> they that that team was so old, man, and it's not something that gets talked about enough. They joined forces and created a superhuman team at literally the worst time to create a superhuman team. They only had four or five seasons that they played together, and one of them, KG, was hurting, and the the last one, they weren't good. So really, they had like a three year window dumped their entire future to get that three year window. Ended up getting it off of some form of luck. I mean, Rajon Rondo probably shouldn't have turned into what he is. And uh, we had some mishaps with early LeBron in the playoffs. And, you know, we, we all know about that. But at the end of the day, man, Ray Allen was so good for so long. Like, he legitimately had, what is this, a... 11-year stretch, 12-year stretch of averaging 17 or more points a game. Like, that's, who, name name the other guys to do that. They're all Hall of Famers. They're all some of the best of all time. And if you go back to, like, 2006, his last year in Seattle, when he kind of fell off a little bit with the shooting percentages and fell off a little bit as a defender, he was still 26, 4.5, 4 a game on 38% from 3. Like, that's still lights out shooting. That's still cash money. He, he was literally a All-NBA second-teamer in 2006. And then he had that, I guess, third wind where he was really never a starter with Miami, but we all know the shot that he hit and how important that was to that Miami team. And he was still like 10, 11 a game those last two years at age 38. Unreal. What's the argument for Ray over Reg? Um, I don't know if I made that one already. I I hope I didn't, but he has more career threes, played for longer, was better for longer, made more all-star teams. Um yeah, that's that's that. But at the end of the day, if if you prefer Reggie Miller over Ray Allen, I'm not mad at that. I get it. It depends on era, depends on what you're looking for in a player. Um, because Reg could have done more with less. He didn't have the luxury of playing with essentially like veteran out for blood Kevin Garnett. And I'm sick of not fucking winning Paul Pierce and a very scrappy team that was so good defensively that they were like brutalizers. It's not like Reg was on the fucking Oh three Pistons or anything. And even if he was, he would have been 37 years old at that time. So it's not like, you know, (laughs) it's it's not like he got that type of luxury. He was playing with like Rick Smiths and Chuck person and, I don't know a couple of years of Jalen Rose. Like it, it's it's not like it's not the same type of effect that Ray Allen got. And also Ray Allen, when we bring up the two rings, can we really? We we can give him that ring. He hit the shot to get that ring. You know, like it's that shot got them that ring. They they wouldn't have the ring without Ray. But he wasn't even a starter. He was only playing like twenty minutes a game on those teams. So you know. It's not like he won that ring in his prime, the first ring he did. And that's the rationale for putting him over Reggie Miller. But, again, if you prefer Reggie at 7 and Ray at 8, I am cool with that. I would actually, if I revise this list, I'm still keeping the list the way it is, but if I revise it, I'll just scratch 8 and 7 and make, like, a like a custom number. I don't know, like, sate or uh, what would we say, Uh yavin. I don't know. Fuck, this is stupid. But if we do that, we could do, like, this player is a player, a player B, you know, like eight A eight B. We could do that. Reggie Miller, Ray Allen. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Are you guys cool with that? I'm cool with that. They were the same player, one of them just had a longer period where they were better, um, and won two rings. It is what it is. Ray Allen comes in at number seven on my all time list. At number six, Clyde the Glide, Clyde Drexler, six foot seven shooting guard out of Houston, Texas. Um, Went to the Portland Trail Blazers, as we all know. Hall of Famer, 10-time All-Star, 5-time All-NBA, 1-time NBA champ. Career averages of 20 points, 6 boards, about 6 assists. Very underrated thing about Clyde Drexler. He was actually a very good passer. Not many people remember that. So, yeah, fun fact. Um, what he was not was a good shooter. That's That's been proven a billion times over and over, despite people thinking that about Clyde for some reason. He was not a good shooter. I don't know why people think that. Um, But yeah, so Clyde Drexler, the guy that was supposed to be better than Michael Jordan and quite literally never was. uh, Best season, probably the late 80s, the last two years of the 80s, 88 and 89. Averaged 27 points a game in both those seasons with about seven or eight boards, six assists, almost three steals a game. He was a great defender. Great, great, great defender like should have made multiple defensive teams good defender and never did. So that's a travesty. But he was shooting <laughs> he was shooting uh twenty-one percent from three, 26 percent from three. Uh yeah, not not good. It was like a eighty percent free throw shooter. It's like what people Clyde Drexler shot like what people think early career LeBron shot like. Like when I when I say that I mean like all the guys that are like Like, if if you're going back to, like, Facebook in, like, 2012, all the comments on posts about Kobe versus LeBron are, oh, Kobe's a better shooter. Well, he's not, but, you know, it is what it is, but it's like that. It's like what people thought about LeBron very early on, about how people, like, were so inclined to believe that the man couldn't shoot. They think the exact opposite about Clyde Drexler, and that's actually how his stats looked. It was, like, 25% from three. He did reinvent himself a little bit. I will say that he did reinvent himself with the Houston Rockets um, and somewhat his last few years in Portland. He was actually a 36%, 33%, 36%, 32% three-point shooter in those times. Also was good in the mid-range. But, yeah, man, early on when he was, like, 27 a game, most of it was, like, like, the highlight reel shit that you see today. It was all, like, fast break buckets, very close stuff, uh, low post, high post, like motion offense down to the block. That like it was, it was that type of basketball. And I mean, it's it's fair to say that he's still sixth on my list of all time. So obviously, it worked. But he was very overrated at the time. Um, is somewhat overrated today. There are people that are NBA historians that cover basketball that legitimately think that he's a top three or top four shooting guard of all time. Definitely not the case, but he belongs in the conversation. I mean, I have him at six, so I guess it's not too far-fetched. Uh, the weird thing about Clyde Drexler is for years, people thought that he was like the second coming of Michael Jordan, I guess. I mean, mike he was in the league before Mike, but like he competed with Mike for so damn long that people thought when Mike retired that Clyde might take over the league for a little bit. Obviously, didn't happen. He was literally sent off to Houston the first season that Mike retired. Um, won his ring there. I don't know how the hell he was a two-time All-Star down in Houston. It was like 18 a game, um, like a system player, definitely the second or third best player on the team at that time. It is what it is, though. Clyde Drexler comes in at sixth all-time on my top ten list. At fifth, somebody that you might have expected to be higher, but if you know me and you know basketball, definitely is not higher Allen Iverson the answer um Allen Iverson man one of the most humble guys off the court one of the best personalities to ever play the game and if you go back and like you're telling the people that watched him in the early 2000s that off the court when he retired he'd be like one of the most humble non-braggadocious guys ever they'd be like what the fuck they're like they'd have no clue what you're talking about um, first overall pick in nineteen ninety-six. Hall of Famer, eleven time All-Star, four-time scoring champ, three-time steel champ, despite not being that good of a defender. Like he was a dog defender, don't get me wrong. He deserved those steel champs, but he was not like like ripping people left and right. That's not how he played. Um seven time All NBA, Rookie of the Year, one time MVP in two thousand, two thousand one with that enshrined finals run that saw them take on the very mighty three peat Lakers. He was six foot, 165, in basketball shoes. He might have actually been like 5'10, like my height, right? He could have legitimately been like 5'10. And I wouldn't be surprised. If you look at pictures of him standing next to guys that were like 6'1, 6'2, he's definitely shorter than six feet. Definitely. I don't know if he's 5'11 and a half. I don't know if he's 5'9 and a half, but he's definitely shorter than six feet tall. AI, Alan Iverson, the French braid man. Um, somehow very overrated and very underrated at the exact same time, because the people that don't like Allen Iverson really don't like Allen Iverson. And they start to put him down in the, like, down, down in the depths where like, they're like, oh, he was just an all-star cause he scored. Well, yeah. Okay. I guess. But look at what he was doing at the height that he was at. You know, like this guy is one of the 50 best players of all time probably one of the best 40 players of all time. I haven't done the full list yet. That'll come in a later podcast, but it's coming. Um, but probably one of the 40 best players of all time. He has an MVP for Christ's sake. Like he was really good. And the people that overrate him think he's like second to Michael Jordan, like like in shooting guard ranks of all time. They think he's top 10 and he's like second or third all time in shooting guards. That is definitely not the case. That's That's way too high. So there's a real gap between where people think Alan Iverson should be and where he's actually at. A real disconnect between the fan base and the haters. Um, And I get it, because he was a very polarizing player. He was a guy that, if you didn't like the early 2000s era of life and how it was so influenced by hip-hop and by black culture, I can totally understand why he wouldn't be your cup of tea, but that's what made him so great. Because he embodied something that was against the system. He embodied something that was against big corporations and big media. He didn't really care what the hell you thought about anything. And that attitude translated to the court. That's why he was so good under six feet. Because he had that dog in him. He had that dog. Just like Isaiah Thomas in 2016 had that dog. Just like Derrick Rose, even though he's a little bit taller, had that dog. Just like Pat Bev right now has that dog. He was that type of polarizing guy while still averaging 30 a game. I what can you say? Um, Allen Iverson 1999 26 points a game, 2000 28 points a game, 2001 31 points a game, 2002 31 points a game, 0203 28, 0304 26, 0405 31, 0506 33 points a game. And we're talking this is the peak era where like The league is maybe the best teams are scoring ninety points a game. This is the peak, the pinnacle of that. This is where offense is so goddamn slow, where everybody's trying to run a set play that if you shoot the ball with less than with 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 more than five seconds on the shot clock, you're doing offense wrong and you'll probably get fired. So could Allen Iverson have averaged forty in today's game? I wouldn't be shocked at all. I wouldn't be shocked because he was one of those guys that could you could absolutely gouge and eat minutes like it was fucking breakfast. This guy led the league in minutes played per game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. He led the league in minutes played per game at age 32. Like, he he would have no problem playing 44 a game in today's game and just shooting whenever the fuck he felt like it. In fact, most of his seasons from 1998 through... Two thousand and six, so basically the prime of when he was in Philly. He was shooting more than twenty-two times a game. So much so that in 0-2 he shot twenty-eight times a game. Somehow he got worse as a shooter over time. That's something that doesn't usually happen to NBA players. I guess because he was so goddamn small, he couldn't get the ball up as much, and I that'd be my only recollection of him having that type of possibility to get worse over time. If you look at the numbers, it's not even like this isn't even cap either. Rookie season shot six threes a game, 34%. From there, he's down to 30% the year after on only three a game. Might have been a change of offense, you know, shit like that happens. But then we're going to like his his MVP prime time when he was undisputably top 10, probably top five in the league for a couple of years, 27%. 22% even the year that he was traded from Philly to Denver. It's like, what the hell? Like, how do you... How do you get worse over time? Everybody that plays in the league gets gets to be a better shooter over time because they understand defense is better. They understand how guys guard them more. I don't know. All I know is AI is going to be forever immortalized for all of the wrong reasons. And I say that as an AI fan. He's going to be immortalized because of the attitude. He's going to be immortalized because of the braids. He's going to be immortalized because of the baggy-ass suits and pants. He's going to be immortalized because of the step over on Tyron Lue in the finals. He's going to be immortalized because of the practice speech. He's going to be immortalized because he put 41 points on Kobe's head in the finals. He's going to be immortalized because he was a character. Like it's It's for all the wrong reasons. Ooh, he's going to be immortalized because of the crossover on MJ. That's the one I forgot. I should have said that one. But we shouldn't be talking about AI that way. We should be talking about AI in the sense of Him leading the league four times in scoring and three times in steals, while also leading the league seven times in minutes played. That is a feat that very, very, very few have accomplished ever, ever. It's hard to play 44 minutes a game and still put up 31 on people. It really is. That's why when you go back and you look at Wilt and he's playing literally more than a full game per season. For one year of his career. It's like how the hell is this guy averaging 50? I know when you play more minutes. You have more opportunities to score. But you literally never sit down. Like this man is not sitting on the sidelines. Drinking Gatorade. Like The, the guy that leads the league in minutes played per game this season. Is probably going to hit like 36. AI most years of his career. Was at least 6 more than that. That's half of a quarter. That's a lot of game time. That you have to be on the court. Guarding some of the best in the league. While you're undersized. Running an offense that doesn't really surround you with the right talent to be in that type of offense, defensively. Defensively, Allen Iverson had the perfect unit around him, and that's one of the things that also people forget about Allen Iverson. They talk about Allen Iverson like he never had help. Well, that's just wrong. He had a Defensive Player of the Year. He had Chris Weber at one point. He had a Most Improved Player. He had the Coach of the Year. He had the personnel. He had the staff. He had the right players around him defensively. He just had nobody that was physically capable of scoring, and by the time he did, he was already 32, 33 years old in Denver with Carmelo Anthony, who is now, as we all know, not a winner. I don't know. Um, Do I think AI is overrated or underrated? I think because he is both, he is perfectly rated. And it's never going to change. You know, the people that love AI are always going to love AI despite him Being a career 31% three-point shooter, having an effective field goal percentage on his career of only 45%, which is absolutely god-awful. Hovering around four turnovers per game with only six assists per game as a career average. Leading the league in steals despite not being like an all-NBA defender type guy. The people that love him are going to forget and look past all that stuff and look to all the highlights and what he was able to accomplish with what little they thought that he had around him they're going to love him for it and the people that hate him are always going to hate him it is what it is i just want to throw in one last thing about allen iverson that is just a travesty he made an all-star game in 2009 averaging 14 points a game um he only he only played 28 games that season we i'm glad that we as a fan base stopped doing that because that's absolutely ridiculous and is almost like the the stuff where like ah uh, What's his name? Gosh darn it, now it's slipping my mind. Warriors center. Gosh dang it. Zaza Pachulia. I had to Google it, I'm sorry. That's almost like the shit where Zaza Pachulia was making an all-star game a few years ago. It's not funny, it's not cool. We can't be doing that. He averaged 13 a game and he played 28 games. He's not a fucking all-star. He's not, I'm sorry. Cut the shit. He played three games in Memphis and they were like, yeah, we're good. We're good, We we don't need you no more. Not an all-star. It's at whatever. Allen Iverson, number five all-time on my shooting guard list. Number four all-time on my shooting guard list is probably going to be controversial for the people that don't like basketball or don't know basketball that listen to the podcast. That's because it's James Harden, another polarizing player for all the wrong reasons. Another guy that has so many haters that push him outside of top tens on a regular basis and so many fanboys that yank his crank until they talk about him being the number one or number two guy in the league. He's neither. It is what it is. We just need to accept it at this point. We've seen enough of James Harden to know that his game is not going to translate to wins unless he translates back to what he was in OKC as a sixth man. If James Harden goes to ring chase in the next three or four years and goes to like, I don't know, fucking like I mean, I was going to say the Bucs, but who even knows if Giannis is going to stay there. We can't predict the future, but let's say he goes to ring chase with a team three to four years down the line, does that whole Ray Allen spiel, 25 minutes a game, comes off the bench. That'd be perfect for him. That'd be the ideal situation because he would win a ring. And I'd still count it because we still count Ray Allens, don't we? He'd still be a big player on those teams. He has a timeless game that isn't going to change because it's custom fit for him. James Harden. Fourth best shooting guard of all time. I was tempted to put him third. I couldn't do it because Dwayne Wade has the rings. If you take away the motherfucking rings, James Harden is the third best shooting guard of all time. I don't want to hear an argument. He's better than Dwayne Wade as a player. Player X, player Y, he's better than Dwayne Wade. He just is. Sorry. But Dwayne Wade has the rings. Accolades matter in the sense of this podcast. Also, that's a spoiler for who's next. Dwayne Wade is uh, Dwayne Wade's third. So... There you go. Get your spoilers out. James Harden, I could talk about the man all day. 8-time All-Star, 2-time scoring champ, 1-time MVP, 1-time assist champ, 6-time All-NBA, of course, the 2011 Sixth Man of the Year. Career averages of 25 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 45% from the field, 36% from 3, 86% from the free throw line. Good God is James Harden, a stat wizard. If you hate stats, you hate James Harden because he is stats. The last three seasons of James Harden, well, you know what, let's do the last five seasons of James Harden, because this unparalleled run needs to be talked about more, and it's not, and I hate it. So, here you go. 2015 through 2019-20, James Harden has averaged 32 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, almost 2 steals, almost a block, and he shoots 45% from the field, 36% from three, and 86% from the free throw line. Name one other player in NBA history with a five year stretch of that. Name one. Give you some time. Go ahead, think it through your head. Think of Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron. Nope, nobody. Hasn't happened. He's the only guy. He's a one of one. He is a custom fit mold. I know a lot of people hate the man because of the free throws. Oh, God, the free throws. Well, guess what? If you get fouled, you shoot fucking free throws. That's what happens. And a lot of people hate him because of the turnovers. Oh, no, the turn. If you pass the ball, you turn the ball over sometimes. It fucking happens. That's part of basketball. I don't know what to tell you. A lot of people hate him because he chucks. Well, you know what? He still shoots 36% from three. So is he really chucking at that point? Chucking is when you don't make the attempts that you shoot. Chucking is when you shoot the ball because you want to shoot the ball. Does he shoot the ball because he wants to shoot sometimes? Sure. But does he fucking make it? Yep. So is it chucking? No. So James Harden, as you can see, I'm very passionate about the man. He is probably... This is off my dome. So, if I had to rank my favorite players of all time as like a 1 through 10 thing, kind of like this whole podcast idea, I'd probably put him top five. Um, He's not ahead of LeBron, of course. He's not ahead of Stefan Marbury. (sighs) Hmm. This is tough. Is he ahead of Carmelo Anthony? Probably. I don't know. We'll save that for another day. We're not going to talk about that today. Basically,. James Harden is a stat darling. If that didn't fulfill your I don't know desire for stats, well let's go to per 100 possession stats. Per 100 possessions <laughs> the last 3 seasons. If you give this man 100 possessions, he averages 45 points, 11 assists per game. This is per game. I'm telling you, 45 points per game if you give him 100 possessions. That's like like what half of a team could produce. You know, if you add up the assists and assume that I don't know. A third of those are going to threes. He is essentially producing about 65 points a game. 70 points a game. <laughs> like he 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 could single-handedly be beating some garbage ass teams in the mid 2000s just like by having a couple teammates that he throws the ball to a few times. And where the stats really start to love James Harden is when they start to take into account how much he contributes, right? Because the guys like Giannis sure as hell contribute a lot on both ends of the floor. James Harden is not giving you the elite all-NBA defense that Giannis is giving you, but what James Harden is giving you is points. He is making baskets to produce points, and he is passing the ball to produce points. If produced points were a stat, he would lead the league by such a wide margin every single season that it wouldn't even be feasible to give anybody else a produced points title. It wouldn't even be a thing. Even if you just took away most other guys' assists, he would still produce more points just shooting the ball than what most guys do regularly. So, go to the advanced numbers. He's led the league in PER once, led the league in usage twice. That's also something a lot of people don't like about his game. I get it. Usage is what it is, but when usage is effective and not what it was for Russell Westbrook in 2015-16 where he has a high usage because he's the only guy on the team. This translates to wins, right? James Harden's usage translates to wins. Russell Westbrooks does not. Despite what we've seen this season, it is what it is. James Harden's also led the league in value over replacement three times, box plus minus twice, offensive box plus minus the last three years in running, win shares the last four years. If that doesn't speak enough, I don't know what else does. Win shares as a whole five times. Basically, has led the league every year since 2014, except for when he finished second in 2015. I, what can you say? If you don't like stats, James Harden's not for you. That's all. That's all I can say. I, don't, I have no other way to put it. If you don't like stats and you watch basketball games, you're gonna hate him. But if you take basketball games with stats, like you know people should be doing, that's the way that things work um, because the numbers reflect what happens in the game. The game backs up what happens with the numbers. I mean, that's self-explanatory. If you're doing both, you have to appreciate the game that he puts up, whether you like it or not. Because at the end of the day, the amount of wins that he adds is more than anybody in the entire league for the last five or six years running. That's why he's finished second or third in MVP voting or won the last five or six years running, despite not making the All-NBA team in, what was it, twenty? Twenty sixteen, he didn't make the all NBA third team, despite finishing like top five in MVP voting. I don't Some of the some of the guys who vote, man. It irks my brain. I'm holding my head right now, if you can't tell, obviously you can't. It is just a blasphemy sometimes when we get to see the final voting results and like who actually took shit seriously, who the hell got to vote, because some of the people that they give votes to kind of don't fucking deserve them. I don't know. It is what it is. James Harden, I mean, he has an MVP. He might win a ring in his future. That's one of the reasons I have him over Allen Iverson is because his career is still going and he still has potential to get a ring while still having the same MVP, while still having the same type of caliber seasons of a scorer. But he's also a better passer, more efficient, more effective. I don't know. James Harden, fourth all-time on my rank number three, all time on the top 10 shooting guard list. D Wade, the flash Dwayne Wade. I said it before the man is retired five different times. Um, Did you guys know that? I don't know if you guys are aware of that Dwayne Wade's retired. Um, So that's, that's fun. 13 time, all-star one-time scoring champ, three-time NBA champ, eight time, all NBA three-time, all defensive one-time finals MVP in 2005, 2006, Career averages of 22, 5, and 5. Not a great shooter. Uh, I, I don't know what else to speak on for that. I, everybody should know at this point that Dwayne Wade was not a good shooter. Um, Dwayne Wade was a great rookie, was 22 years old as a rookie, was great at Marquette. Holy hell, was he fucking good. But he was underdrafted because of his age. That's just how it is and how it will always be with him. In that draft, and he had so many issues with injury in his career that it's something that gets overlooked so often. Like, Dwayne Wade never played a full 82 game season ever his entire career. His most games is 79. He only eclipsed 70 one, two, three, four, five, six, six times in a 16 or 17 career. He had games in the season of sixties or fifties, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. And then he had even had a season with Miami in twenty eleven. Of course, that was the lockout year where he played forty nine. Um, but still, he like he played fifty one games in two thousand six. Fifty one games in two thousand seven. This man could not stay healthy to save his life while also not being a great shooter. Where Dwayne Wade ends up third on this list, three rings. He has three rings. Um, it's more than that because he also has a finals MVP. He was the best player on a championship team, and that definitely matters. But he was, again, one of those guys like AI where he's overrated and underrated, and he's not as significantly overrated underrated as Allen Iverson is. Nobody is saying Dwayne Wade is better than Kobe or better than Michael Jordan or deservedly in the same conversation as them. They're not. They're just not saying that. And the people that underrate Dwayne Wade... Significantly underrate him. They don't realize how good he was at his peak. When D-Wade was at his prime in 2008-2009, this man was averaging 30 points, almost 8 assists, seven and a half, five boards, 2.2 steals, 1.3 blocks, just stuffing the stat sheet, right? And he was still shooting almost 50% from the field. He was terrific in the late 2000s, where he started to fall off as the second LeBron James joined the team. And it's not for the reason that a lot of people think it is. A lot of people have the argument that LeBron makes teammates worse or that LeBron going on the team has players' stats go down. Well, that's going to happen when a better player comes on the team. You're going to get the ball less, so you're going to have less effective stats. You're going to be more efficient, though, and more effective as a player. Your stats aren't going to look as cool, but you're going to be better as a player. That's just how that works. It translates to championships. But what I mean, Dwayne Wade on those championship Miami teams, 2011, 2012, and 2012, 2013, was a shell of his former self. He was not that good. People like to make the argument that he was still a top 10, top 5 player in the league at that time. I would argue he wasn't even top 15 in 2012, 2013. (laughs) You could genuinely make that case. You really could. And I know that sounds crazy to think, but go back and look at those times, man. If you want me to name... 10 to 15 players that were better than Dwayne Wade in 2012-2013, I could certainly do that for you. It was disappointing. If Dwayne Wade would have been better, the Heat would have won more rings. 2010-2011 was still definitely on LeBron. He was averaging 26 points a game that season and did not crumble in the finals. That's on LeBron. I get that. The other two seasons where they did win the finals, that was like LeBron backpacking fucking Kevin Love and Kyrie those few years. That's what that was like. I would argue Kevin Love and Kyrie contributed more than what Dwayne Wade did in 2012-2013. Uh, that's obviously Kyrie did, but even Kevin Love, like, that's, that's the level of disappointment that I got out of Dwayne Wade in 2012-2013, is how bad Kevin Love was some of those years that the Cavs actually made runs at the finals, well, we can't even say runs at the finals, runs to the finals and lost. It was just disappointing, and... Even though he was custom fit to play with LeBron and loved him, it just didn't work out. Number two, none other than Kobe Bryant. If you expected somebody else, stop listening to the podcast. You don't know basketball. Vino, Bean, Black Mamba, KB24. What do we know about him? Hall of Famer, 18-time All-Star, 2-time scoring champ, 5-time champ, 15-time All-NBA, 12-time All-Defense two-time finals MVP, one-time MVP. It's like when you go from Dwayne Wade to Kobe Bryant, the fucking accolade jump is like, holy shit. Like, if you think D. Wade has a lot of accolades, we were just talking about Reggie Miller a half hour ago, right? He made five all-star teams in his career. Fucking, like, we we could make a whole list of things that Kobe did more than five times in his career. He has five championships, for Christ's sake. Um, Career averages of 25 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists. Kobe, man, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, man, oof. I'm going to try my best here to not make this about that, but it's it's hard to not talk about because there's so much more to Kobe than basketball. And that's not the reason that he's second all time in this rank. The accolades speak for themselves. We know what he did in the finals. We know what he did in 2005 and 2006. We know what he did, in even his third career rebirth in 2010, 2011, when he was able to push on another leg and take his teams to the finals and actually win the finals. Like, it's he was crazy. Kobe was crazy, man. And we're not going to see another guy like that, I don't think. I don't think there's ever going to be another Kobe Bryant, even though there's so many guys that model their games after Kobe. There's so many guys that model their games after the way that he shoots after the way that he does the fadeaway, after the post-up moves, but there's nobody that has the drive and intensity and the, the passion for the game of basketball that Kobe had. And that's why when you talk about Kobe, it's so hard to not bring up what tragically happened to him because he was definitely gone too soon, even though he lived a life a hundred times to the fullest Warden, any of us could ever have done. Because the knowledge he had... On basketball is greatly overlooked when you talk about Kobe as a player. Not a lot of people are like, "Oh, Kobe was one of the highest IQ guys of all time," because he wasn't a gifted passer. He wasn't. He he kind of chucked for a few seasons. He was rather unlikable and polarizing in the same way that Allen Iverson was, because he pushed an agenda that was so kind of like a "fuck you" mentality but he was, he was so much bigger than basketball. He was a persona for all the right reasons. And I'm not going to be that guy that, you know, brings up the right and wrong time to disrespect and respect Kobe Bryant. I'm going to try my hardest not to do that and just leave my opinions on where he ranks on the all-time list for a different podcast. Right here, right now, Kobe Bryant is the second-best shooting guard of all time. He averaged more than 30 points a game three different times in his career. Obviously averaged 35 a game in 2005 and 32 a game in 2006. Was one of the best shooters of all time. One of the best scorers of all time. Um, great defender. And that often gets overlooked when discussing his game as a whole. Like a ridiculously great defender. Like one of the best defenders of all time defender. It's that intensity. it's that dog. it's that same dog that we talked about earlier on with Alan Iverson. He had a different breed. He was a different kind of horse. you know it's 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 very hard to go back and watch Kobe Highways for me because even though I wasn't a huge fan of the guy and I definitely wasn't a huge fan of him as a person on the court it's it's so tragic. And so terrible that we lost somebody with that extensive knowledge. Like I just talked earlier about George Gervin not being in the current spotlight and Reggie Miller being in it. If Reggie Miller has the type of knowledge he has, Kobe has 10 times that man. Kobe's, Kobe's basketball IQ on just the fundamentals and the concepts of basketball are probably unrivaled. Probably. I don't think there's a single person Besides maybe LeBron James that know and understand the game of basketball the way that Kobe Bryant did. Like he he could break down so many things. He even did it in his detail series. Like he knew what he was talking about. And furthermore, he used that to his advantage. He he studied his opponents so much that he was able to determine what play was coming. 99.9% of the time. He studied his opponent so much that he was able to determine what his weak spots were and how to trash talk him, how to get inside of his head every time he went up and down the court. Um, rest in peace to Kobe Bean Bryant. I'm still not over it. I'm sure pretty much everybody. That watches basketball is not over it, and part of the reason this I don't know last twenty minutes or so of this podcast might have seemed so dull is because I went down and I saw his name <laughs> looking at the two spot of the shooting guards on this list just to prep for the for the number two spot um and it immediately hit me like I remembered it all over again, I remember where I was, what I was wearing, the first person I told like it it's just so tragic, and it's one of those one of those sports deaths that well, no we're fuck a sports death one of those deaths that we will never recover from it it'll it'll always be hard to talk about Kobe Bryant forever for me at least and i i would assume that's the same way for many others that love and enjoy basketball sports great human beings um well debatable but Yeah, Uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, second all-time shooting guard on my top 10 all-time ranking. And number one, man, like, are are you serious? Did you even have to wait for this? This is, like, worse than the Magic Johnson one if you didn't know who was already here. It's Michael Jordan, man. Mike, Air Jordan, MJ, his airness, either the greatest or second greatest player of all time, depending on who you ask. Hall of Famer, 14-time All-Star in about 15 or 16 seasons. 10-time scoring champ, 3-time steel champ, 6-time NBA champ, 11-time All-NBA, 9-time All-Defensive, 1-time Defensive Player of the Year, 6-time Finals MVP, 5-time MVP, 1984 Rookie of the Year. Career averages are 30 points, 6 boards, 5 assists, 49.7% field goal, 33% from 3, 84% from the free throw line. Michael Jeffrey Jordan is... I said it before I'll say it again either the greatest or second greatest player to ever touch a basketball depending on who you ask. If you ask me, I think he's the second greatest. I think LeBron James is the best player of all time to preview the future podcast of my personal top 10, but Mike is second and it's it's a very distant from him to it, it's like him and LeBron are like the elitist of the elite, highest of the high tier and then there is so much mileage and distance between those two guys and the entire rest of the pool that it's like untouchable like you when when you go and you look at lebron a guy that has played for 17 or 18 seasons and basically is has an argument for like 10 MVPs and has made god 11 finals 10 finals like if that's the type of pedigree that you're putting with mike and mike was only in the league for 15 years you you know how good fucking Mike was man 37 points a game in his third season 35 in his fourth 33 34 32 30 33 1994 he comes back from his first retirement and actually played baseball 27 a game after playing baseball comes back and just like fucking like okay thanks mike 30 a game in 95 29.6 in 96 29 a game in 1997. We're not going to talk about the Wizards years because those were travesties. Those were like two, Mike got like two farewell tours. Like the whole thing that Kobe got a few years ago where basically like for the last two months, every team was like, here you go, Kobe, light me up. They let Mike do that for two years. So we're not going to talk about that. But his Bulls years, specifically from his rookie year, excluding his sophomore year, and then from then on, untouchable. Untouchable. You're you're probably never gonna see another guy when six rings and six trips have a flawless game. Like literally fla- like if you want to point out the flaws in Michael Jordan's game, it's that he couldn't really shoot threes that well. Then you go and you look at his career three-point percentage and it's fucking 33%. Like, hey, if that's the one flaw he had to his game, he was pretty damn good at not being flawed. Like, that's just how it goes. He was one of the most electrifying players of all time. One of the best dunkers ever. One of the best post players ever, despite being a shooting guard. One of the best defenders ever. Like, literally, like, probably top ten, top five. Um, best scorer of all time. Not even close. Not debatable. I don't want to hear that Kevin Durant bullshit. It's not true. Cut the press. Michael Jordan's the best scorer of all time. Um, underrated as a passer. Underrated as a rebounder. Uh, I like if 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 you if you expected anything else than Michael Jordan to be here and me to have to tell you about Michael Jordan's career, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Did you just get into basketball yesterday? Like, are are you were you in a coma for thirty years? Like, come on now. Even if you were in a coma for thirty years, you would have known who the fuck Michael Jordan was in 1990. So, <laughs> like, I I really shouldn't have to be doing this. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Mike is what is he, fourth, fifth all-time in scoring now? One of those two, LeBron just passed both of them, so I assume he's like fourth or fifth. Um, I think he's fifth. He's got to be fifth because if LeBron's third and he just passed Kobe most recently because Kobe passed MJ and then made Kobe fourth and Mike fifth. So Mike's fifth all-time in scoring in 15 seasons. In 15 seasons, he's fifth all-time in scoring. I had to get close in case you didn't hear that. Like, that's fucking unreal. How, what? What? And he came into the league late too. He was, he was fucking 21 years old when he was drafted. LeBron came in at 18-19. So when you add an extra two years to his resume, imagine what he could have done. Especially because if you go back and you look at his rookie year, he was 28 a game as a rook. Untouchable resume, unless they are LeBron James. Untouchably the best scorer of all time untouchably the best or second best player of all time untouchably the best player before 2003 probably even before 2010 um because lebron didn't even have an argument until he got a ring and still barely has one i think he still has one i of course like i said like like okay i say barely argument in the sense that from a ring perspective like he he there's no argument there the only argument is that lebron made more finals but Look at the teams that they played with. Look at how long he's played for. You know, Mike won six in six trips, and that holds more weight than anything LeBron can do in fifteen finals, unless he wins six of them. And even then, Mike still won six and six. LeBron would have won six and fifteen. So it is it is like it's it's not even an argument. It's not debatable. I I don't know. Um, yeah, Air Jordan, number one shooting guard of all time. I really don't want to talk about Michael Jordan. I mean, if you guys have watched, have done anything involving sports ever, you know about Michael Jordan. You know about the shoes. You know about him as a player. You know about how much of an asshole he was on the court. Um, We we don't got to get into all that. You already know it. You've already heard it a billion times. So I'll leave it with this. Michael Jordan's Wizards years are some of the most disgusting individual basketball that you can ever possibly watch. Don't believe me? Go back and watch it. It's horrendous. It's terrible. I'm not saying go back and watch the highlights. Like, literally, let's just type in Michael Jordan, Wizards, full game, right? Just pick whatever the first fucking result is on YouTube. It is awful. It's terrible. He can't play a lick of defense. He can't shoot for shit. He shot 18% from three his first year there. I know he was retired for three years before that, and he was 38 years old, but why even come back? Why come back? I, I don't get it, man. Um, and he's still he was taking 22 shots a game, and he still averaged only 22 a game. For reference, he was taking 22 shots a game in 1988 and scoring 32 a game. 33, well, 32 and a half a game. So 33 points a game. Like... <laughs> Again, that's him being 38 to 25, but still, like, come on now. Why why, why unretire? Just go do your GM thing, draft your Kwame Browns, go own the Charlotte Hornets, like, do what you got to do, but please don't play basketball when you're 38 years old unless you're LeBron James and have spent a billion dollars on your body because if you're doing it, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to look bad. You're going to look like the old dad, even if you're Michael Jordan because he did that, and... Boy, is it pretty fucking ugly. All I'm going to say right here is this week, I do not have anything planned for after this pod. This is kind of a long one. I've been recording for almost an hour and a half at this point. Um, So we have a good top 10 rank up in here, up in his ear. So here's my recap. Honorable mention, Vince Carter. Number 10, George Gervin, Nine, Tracy McGrady. Eight, Reggie Miller. Seven, Ray Allen. Remember, that could be 8A, 8B. Six, Clyde Drexler. 5, Allen Iverson. 4, James Harden. 3, Dwayne Wade. 2, Kobe Bean Bryant. And number 1, Michael Jordan. If you guys enjoyed this list, that's great. Please let me know. I'd love the feedback. Um, Let me know if you would have any changes to your own personal list, of course. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I have no ad for you guys this week because fuck Anchor. Um, But, yeah. So, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know I did. I'll see you guys next week for the top 10 small forwards of all time. Peace.